God. Thank you, sir. Bless you. Praise the Lord. Yeah, good morning. Thank you for that welcome. Come on, shout another praise to the Lord Jesus, would you? Praise the name of Jesus. He is Lord of all. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you're a believer? You know, God does more in believers than unbelievers. I mean, typically, that's the way it's intended to work. That's not real deep, but it's still good to know. And we are believers around here. And we found out that it's not just believing in God. You know, the devil believes in God. There's lots of people believe in God. It's, it's believing that what God said he meant. It's now believing that these words that he's given us are alive and ready to go into action in our life at any moment. Anytime we'll connect and lay hold on it, God's ready to go into action. He delights in the prosperity of his own people. That's what he said. And uh, I delight in it too. How about you? Praise God. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Boy, it's a good day to be a believer, as is every day. All right, go ahead and sit down. As a lot of you know, this isn't my first time here, and it's not even my second time here. As a matter of fact, I've been coming here before here was here, this particular here. I'm not sure that actually makes any sense whatsoever, but I knew what I meant. But it's been a delight in my own life to be able to be a part of what God's done in this ministry and the way I have, just as a guest coming in, really kind of extended family is the way I've looked at it, that uh, to be able to come in and minister on, a, on an annual basis, really, that's the way it's gone for the last 35 years. Um, but um, what's most important is that there is something the Holy Spirit has designed this time, this weekend, and this service for. He's designed something to take place, something to be imparted. Here's what we know about the Holy Spirit. We know that he, he shows up. He said, when we gather together, he is in the midst of us. Jesus said that. And by the Spirit of God, Jesus has, has come to do something that would be revolutionary for anybody that would take it. You know, revolution is good from time to time. We need some revolution at various times in our own personal life. And... Uh, something that is revolutionary, it is life-changing. It is something that, that makes a shift, that there's a pivot in one way or another in our life. That's right. And, you know, we need that. Mm-hmm. In fact, we really need it on a pretty regular basis. That's right. Not always over the same things, hopefully, but over a variety of things. I mentioned it, I think it was last night, but, you know, I've been serving God since 1971. Man, that's like a long time for me. And... Uh, <laughs> And even after all this time, I still find that God keeps drilling down into aspects of my own life that still need to be shifted in one way or another. Now, it's better than it was. I'd like to just give you that caveat. (laughs) But, you know, God's got such great plans for any person that when there are things that are interrupting those plans in one way or another, a barrier, an obstacle, a way of thinking, a mindset that could, could really be shifted to just release things in God so much better in our life, that's what God is always working on in order to better for us. He's not condemning us. Aren't you glad? God's not the one that condemns. He says it so clear in various places. He said, I will remember your sins no more. That's good news, isn't it? He's not the one bringing up our past, our sins, our, our th- uh, deals that we've been in to condemn us. God doesn't do that. No, no, no. That is why we have family. We have family for that reason. All right. Not really. That was an attempt at some humor. But uh, no, that's not really why we have family. It's just some family seems to think that is their role. And uh, if you are that particular family member, you know, just wake up. It's really not the role. But uh, no, God's not the one condemning us, but he is always the one encouraging us and showing us a path 
to things that are so much better. And that's really what we've been focusing on here the last couple of nights. And if you haven't been able to be at these services yet, I'm going to give you a few, few points of where we started. And I want to start it with this. It's something really the Spirit of God had said to me and something he said in, in uh, just a few days ago as I was planning things and, and listening to the Lord for these, these times this weekend. And this is what he said to me about this time. This is a time of transition and restoration. Said out loud, transition, transition. and restoration. restoration. Those are big, big ideas. And yet that's the time we're in. It's a time where we're moving. Transition is just going from where we are into another place. But in God, it's always going to be into a greater place. It's a transition which always takes us out of one thing and into something else. You got to let go or step out of one place in order to step into another. But transition is powerful if we'll allow ourselves to just keep continuing in that kind of transition. But it's a time of transition, and he said restoration. Restoration is bringing things to a place, not only where they once were, God's idea of restoration is bringing things into a place in our life where we've actually never experienced it, maybe. Now, it's odd that, that, sound, that, that that's the focus of restoration. But you see, from God's point of view, he's not restoring us to a place where we've been. He's restoring us to a place where God has always designed people to live. Praise God. I mean, you know, God had a plan in the beginning. He put man in a garden. He didn't put him in a desert. He put him in a place where every need was met, where there was an abundant supply, where there was clear fellowship and an ongoing relationship. God put man where he wanted him. And you know what happened? Satan messed it up, so Jesus fixed it up. I mean, that's kind of a nutshell version of Genesis to Matthew. But Satan came and messed it up. Oh, yeah, there's lots of things we could find from that. I realize Adam was involved. Eve was involved. Yeah, they messed up too. They stepped out of that place that God designed for them. And we've all, all of us, have had to deal with the consequences of that decision. You know, I, I do feel like in heaven, we're, we're going to meet Adam. I think there's going to be possibly... Heavy security for Adam. <laughs> I think a lot of us just would like some answers. Like, what were you thinking? Okay, I know it's all peace and love of Jesus, and so, you know, we'll, 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 we'll know what was going on. But I think we still need to talk. It's just personal, maybe. But what were you thinking? I mean, the woman was deceived. That's what the Bible says. The woman got deceived. It didn't say the man got deceived. It just said the man was an idiot. So we've gone from a deceived woman and a pathetic man. It's funny what people get excited about and things like that. It's just uh, watching from my angle. It's really cool. So I don't think there's any room for pride on either of those points. Let's just be clear. Ladies, you sure don't want to be proud that the ladies got deceived. That's not an exciting idea. And the rest of us idiots don't want to be proud of that either. Gosh, y'all look so holy. Again, it's just amazing how that works. But, uh, and yet, though God had a plan and it got messed up, Jesus fixed it. As a matter of fact, he fixed it in a way <clears throat> where it could never be messed up again. Because he, he designed a covenant that would be established between God the Father and the Lord Jesus. The firstborn man from the dead, the man Christ Jesus. He became a man forever. Now, this is interesting. When he took on 
humanity and became a man. He would never change back to not being a man. He had so identified with humanity that he stepped 100% into humanity. And in doing that, he demonstrated for all of us what will happen and what can happen in anybody that is born of the Holy Spirit as Jesus was and as you have been. He demonstrated what happens and what can happen through someone born of the Holy Spirit and freed from the dominion of sin. Jesus was never under the dominion of sin. But he took on sin, became sin, and then he destroyed it. Destroyed the power of it. Denied it of the right and the ability to continue to dominate a person's life. And now with a choice, with a, with a choice, we make the choice to identify with that covenant. Enter into that covenant between the Father and this reborn man, born out of death, hell in the grave. Glory to God. And now with that choice to identify totally with him, we become freed from the dominion of sin, liberated to hear the voice of our heavenly Father as Jesus heard the voice of the Father. He liberated us, man, so that we can think freely and not have sin dominating our thoughts or fear or the dread of death. Man, these, this is real freedom. Glory to God. And so now, because we are in covenant with Jesus, we've received him, and his covenant is with the Father, that covenant cannot be messed up. Now, we still have to connect with this and stay locked in and let those covenant promises and rights and, and the changes that come with it, let that grow inside of us. And that's why we keep coming to church and studying the Bible. It's so that these things continue to grow in us. But you can't mess up this covenant. I don't know, that's a relief to me. I think it's a good thing. I can disconnect from receiving myself in this covenant, but I can't mess it up because it's between the Father God and the Lord Jesus, the firstborn from the dead. Now we are the church of the firstborn. Every single one of us are a part of that church. We are, in God's view, the firstborn from the dead. We've come out of a life of death. Now that's kind of a a weird terminology, a life of death, spiritual death, living separated from God. Now we've come into a life where we're linked and joined together with him. And literally, as he said it, we've become one with him. Shoo! Praise God. Well, I'm glad I brought all that up. Now, I'm not going to preach on any of that. (laughs) So all this is just by way of saying good morning. But what we have been looking at specifically is what I, I believe some direction from the Lord is to recap and, and then see the conclusion of what transpired because of what happened in the life of Joshua and how that's been an example to us. But let me finish what, what I started to read to you. This is a time of transition and restoration that we have been restored. These are days of open doors, says the Lord. Open doors. You remember what he said in Revelation? He said, I open a door that no man can shut. And he also said, I shut doors that no man can open. There's something right in front of each one of us that we have the right to step into. (laughs) Praise God. When God opens something up, man, he expects us just to simply come on in. Just come on in. Come on into the glory. Come on into the peace. Come on into the deliverance. Come on into the help. Come on into that sense of belonging. Come on in. The door's wide open. But he said that 
These are days of open doors. I believe there's some things open to us right now in the body of Christ and in the world. We're facing things. Things are, are happening worldwide. It seems on, an, on a much faster, accelerated pace. Some of them good, some of them not so good. And God's given you and me the capacity to step into a place in Him where we understand that we are the God-begotten and we are the God-protected. Glory to God. And we are on this planet. We're here now. We haven't been taken off to heaven. We're here to bring influence and to be the salt of this planet. That's what he said, the salt of the earth. Praise God. I'm glad you're excited about that. He also said this to me. He said, these are the days of liberty from disease, from stress and lack. These are days designed, now listen to this, to be extraordinary days. Extraordinary days for advancing and for increase to come into your life. Extraordinary days, not ordinary days, not mediocre days, but days that are beyond the ordinary, not just the status quo, not only the way it's been. These are great days. So transition, moving into that sort of thing is, is really the heart of what I've come with as, as an overall concept that God wanted me to talk to you about. Not remaining where we've been. Not being satisfied with things as they've been. Even though walking in God and the love of God and the peace of God is a satisfying thing. Here's what I mean by not being satisfied. I really got an insight to this one time while I was getting ready actually for a service. And it was a long time ago now, a number of years ago. And I'd been praying. And... uh, It just came out of my mouth in prayer while I was praying. Oh, God. I I just lay hold on a divine discontent. I'd never heard that before in my life, I don't think. I didn't even know what that meant. But I just said it out to the Lord. A divine discontent. And it felt like I knew what I meant while I was praying it. You know, you've got it in your heart, not always in your head. I, I felt like I knew what I meant while I was praying, and I just prayed that. And it, and it just came out so strong, but it was so different. Because I, I just really had never heard that terminology before. A divine discontent. Well, I finished praying, and I was on busy with other things and, and getting ready for a service. And I went to that service. And, uh, you know, God did what he did, but... When I left that service, I remember coming out and uh, headed back to a hotel room where I was staying. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I didn't connect these two things just yet. I said, Lord, I don't know. I just feel, I just feel so discontent right now. Oh, and I I started to almost feel heavy. I started to feel kind of distant, really, from the Lord. Now, I'd come out of a great moment here, and, and a time. I knew I wasn't distant from the Lord. But more, I just had that sense. Something was, you know, something, something right inside here, in my head or in my thinking, whatever's going on. I just had this real discontent. By the time I got back to my hotel room, I started to, just pray about that in particular. Lord, what is this? I just, I just don't feel comfortable in where things are right now. I don't feel confident that things are as they need to be for me right now. And then, then all of a sudden, something occurred to me. I said, Lord, this is not even funny. I just don't even appreciate this humor. I could almost hear him chuckling like a few of you are. Because it was the very thing I had prayed for earlier. I really didn't think I was praying it for me. I thought I was praying it for people in that service. 
And by the time I got back to my hotel room, the very thing I'd asked God for, for a divine discontent, I may have been the only one that actually got it. But here's what it did, and this is the idea behind it. It's not, it's not a self-condemning kind of thing that, that that's supposed to lead to, not at all. It is simply a sense that there is something that I need to move into. There is something that I must walk out of so that I can walk into kind of a new place here. Does that make sense to you? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are right there right now. And it's really that concept that I think is depicted in what we've been looking at in the life of Joshua. Friday night, we started by looking at the very beginning of Joshua when God told Joshua it was time to arise and cross over the Jordan River. Joshua had been leading Israel for just a few days now. Moses had died. Joshua had been Moses' assistant. But now Joshua was to take charge. And God said, I want you to rise up. And I want you to lead these people across the Jordan River. That Jordan River represented the border, really, between the wilderness that all, nearly all of Israel has now grown up in. There was only a a few that were still alive that had come from Egypt. And this Jordan River was the border between the wilderness they had lived in, where God had provided for them. He had taught them how to worship him freely. And he had led them on a daily basis, and they had learned how to follow. That wilderness time was really a very powerful time, but it didn't have to last 40 years like it did. It could have been over in a matter of weeks, really. But God now says to Joshua, it's time to get up and cross over this river because I have given you this land, what we call and what the Bible refers to a lot as the promised land. It had been promised. It had been given. From God's point of view, this belonged to Israel long before Israel really possessed it and came into it. Those people in the wilderness, they had lived their life believing in this land of promise, but they had never been in it. They just believed in it. There's so many parallels, really, that you can get from this as to the Christian life and how it goes for us. We've all been in Egypt, in bondage, one way or another, outside of the things of God, outside of the blessing of God, outside of everything of God. We've all been in our Egypt, and really we've all lived in our wilderness. Some people have lived their entire Christian life in what really is almost like the wilderness more than it is the land of promise, where God blesses when he can. He he does what people will allow and receive, but it's not really the plan that God has had. You know, you see that it wasn't God's plan, even though it was just supernatural, You see it once they did step across the Jordan River. This is amazing. Now, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but uh, this is actually not ahead. It's somewhat behind since we dealt with this Friday. But, um, all right, I didn't need to bring that up. Uh, But while God provided daily food for those guys when they were in the wilderness, every day they ate supernatural food, food that had come right out of heaven. That's amazing. Well, they did at some points also eat quail. But talk about supernatural. You know, some people hunt quail. Have you ever gone hunting? Any hunters here that hunt quail? You hunt quail? Not quail, but shoot anything else that you can find. I will keep that in mind. I hunted duck one time. I don't recommend it. I was down in South Louisiana. It just was not a good experience. But... um, (laughs) <laughs> all right now we di- we digress but here they had wanted something besides 
supernatural food from heaven. They wanted something else. Isn't it funny how discontent people can become over things God's provided? So God sends millions of quail. I don't even know where he would get millions of quail in that part of the world. Millions of quail, but they don't just fly by. They drop on the ground and stand still. I've never been able to get close to a quail out in the wild. Millions of them stand still until Israel goes out, picks them up, kills them and eats them. That's that's tough on the vegan crowd, I know. But, um, (laughs) But it's there in the Bible. What are you going to do? I mean, he didn't drop broccoli out of the sky. You know, <laughs> let's not go there. I know it's just it's room for trouble. But when God first talked to Joshua about these things, it was important for Joshua to lead Israel across the Jordan River. They had to get out of where they'd been. They had to get into a place that God wanted. And the moment they stepped foot in that land and they ate their first meal in that land, the manna stopped because that really was not God's plan. God didn't plan to drop things on his people out of heaven. He planned on them seeing his power bring abundance in this earth And they began to eat of the abundance of the earth that was in that land of promise. And that's really the mindset that has to start happening. So many times we've just had, or I'll say this, the body of Christ in many cases has had the the mindset that, you know, God is God. He will take care of me. I don't have to do anything or consider anything. I mean, I know God loves me and everything will turn out fine. But that doesn't really work out that well for a lot of folks. And they end up quite confused over why this God of love doesn't just wave his hand across uh, the sky over their situation and turn everything into roses and, and ease. But here's what life really ends up revealing, that life, even for the believer, even in the land of promise, is all about conflict and conquering and literally imposing God's will into a situation. Because God has plans, but these plans don't happen automatically. Destiny is not an automatic thing. Destiny tells us God does have a plan for our life, but it doesn't happen just because God planned it. This is why a lot of times we've lived our life believing God had a plan, but people have not seen what that plan is and they remain confused because if God loves me, how is it that all of this craziness has happened and it's been so hard? It's not because God wanted it. God didn't really design that car accident. He didn't really initiate that abuse in your life. He's not the one that... allowed your life to suffer with so many different things. There's a war, a genuine war. And what the Christian life is really all about is not just throwing our hands up and saying, you know, God will take care of me. Everything is going to be all right. Whatever comes, comes because it's what God's designed for me anyway. People stay confused that way. Now, what it's really all about is Finding that we can throw our hands up and say, Lord, I trust you. And I trust you to show me how to walk and live in your word. And to conquer the enemies that rise up against me. Spiritual enemies. I'm not talking about your boss or your wife. I'm talking about the the spiritual strategies that come against you. And that's really what this story and these experiences of Joshua depict. Because when they crossed into the promised land, the very first thing they came to was the city of Jericho. And last night we talked in some length about the walls of Jericho, those formidable walls 
that seemed impenetrable. Nobody was able to conquer this city. Even though it wasn't a real large city, it was a powerful people. And nobody could seem to deal with these walls. And yet God told Joshua how to lead Israel in a way so that those walls were not going to stand in their way. This was part of the land that God wanted Israel to have. God has things that he wants you and me to live in. But the walls and the barriers between us where we are and us living in that place, those barriers have to be dealt with. And it's not just God dealing with it. It's you and God dealing with it. It's you walking in it and God empowering you. It's not just doing it by willpower. It's doing it by God power. And yet it is still stepping up. And as he told them to do, circle the wall, but don't let the wall talk to you. That's right. You don't have to carry on a conversation with the barriers. Mm, come on now. You don't have to even get a great deal of understanding as to why they're there. You know, there's a whole lot of self-analysis that goes on that many times doesn't do anything but just remind us why we're so screwed up. Okay, I said we, which would include me. I meant to just say you, but because uh, I didn't come to talk about me as much. But it does fit, so there you go. And so what did they do? They marched around that city. Not just one time. For six days they marched around that city once every single day. And they saw absolutely no progress whatsoever. On the seventh day, God had to march around that city seven times, a total of 13 times they have marched around the city, still with no change whatsoever. There is something about perseverance and staying the course and not being changed by a contradictory barrier that's in my way. Something powerful about learning how to live from the inside out yes. instead of from the outside in. Yes, amen. That's what a believer really is all about. Well, learning hallelujah. the power that's inside of us mm-hmm. so that we can stand against the barriers and ultimately see those barriers drop before us. Hallelujah. The anger that's been in our life, your life, the anger, the issue, the fear, the insecurity, the breaches, the violations, the broken heart that's been in your life, that's not, that's not there to remain. It's there to be dominated and driven out. Strongholds are designed to prevent us from things, but the power of God blasts strongholds right out of our life if we'll circle the wall and do it with praise. Is this making any sense to you? So that's what we've been looking at. There was an event that happened immediately after this conquest of Jericho and being in in this new land, Jericho being the first but a pretty serious adversary that they dealt with. There seemed to be a a notch in the belt, a bit more confidence, and, and that's a good thing, and it can be a great thing. But there was another city, the next city that needed to be dealt with, and it was the city of Ai. And we could take all kinds of of, uh, time with analogies as to what all that means, but I just want to focus on a couple of thoughts about it. Because the city of Ai was a much smaller, almost insignificant kind of city, but it was the next place that they would have to conquer. Any of these things that had to be conquered, man, we could just put something that's been in our life and say, you know, that really could depict an area of my own life that has to be dealt with. It may not be a big deal uh, in some ways, but it still has to be dealt with. And that's how God does it. He wants us to just be honest and straight up with him. He's not hammering us over it, but uh, things don't just go away and deal with themselves. We have to deal with it. I may even feel like God's been dealing with you over things here recently. Yeah. That's nothing new for us, is it? He's been dealing with us our whole life, our whole Christian life, even before that. 
The city of Ai. If you know the story at all, you know that they, uh, they really didn't take the approach to Ai as seriously as they had Jericho. Boy, with Jericho, you know, they, they inquired of the Lord. Joshua had heard directions, specific words, how to go handle the city of Jericho. But with Ai being next, Joshua just took the recommendation of one of his leaders who said, this isn't really going to be that tough. We don't need to send all of the armies and all of the people. We just need to send a small band of 3,000, and they'll go deal with the city of Ai, this smaller issue and problem. And Joshua didn't really inquire of the Lord at all. Had he inquired of the Lord, there would have been some insight, some things that Joshua would have discovered from the Lord. God would have said some things. You know, God will talk to you. God will give you warnings. God will, God will give you that sense. Maybe it's you don't hear his voice rattling in your head, but he'll give you a clarity or a sense of warning. The more we learn to, to, to heed these things, the clearer it gets, the more familiar we become with it. Joshua would have gotten a warning had he inquired of the Lord, but he didn't. He just took the recommendation of one of his leaders, somebody that was a trustworthy guy. He wasn't trying to be deceptive. But you know, some p good people in your life can give you some wrong information and wrong things to believe. So they went out against AI. You know what happened? They, it didn't go well. They went up against this small city and the, the, the warriors of that city ran. Those 3,000 soldiers from Israel right off and 36 men were killed. 36 out of 3,000. I realize in some cases, you know, you think, well, it was just 36. <laughs> but you got to realize the way things went for Israel. They didn't lose anybody in battle. Ever. When they went into battle, they won. And now this less significant place didn't seem that strong suddenly issued a defeat to Israel and it shook them to their core. Now they began to inquire of the Lord. Now Joshua calls out on God and really in the beginning felt a little bit ripped off at God for the way this went. You brought us out here. You're the one that told us to take this territory. And now you have, and it was just God, you, you, you. Does that not sound like a lot of people? God, why have you, what have you done? Why haven't you? This, it could be, it should have been better. What are you doing? It's all about what God's done wrong. And yet we know inside that is just not the case. And what had gone wrong was someone in Israel had kept back what God said belonged to God. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on that point, but man, we could spend the rest of the day at least on that specific idea. Because while God would not ask for all of the wealth that would come in through what they would conquer from that point forward, God wanted all of the gold and silver that they would confiscate from the conquering of Jericho. All of it. And it really is that that knowing and understanding for us, it's a picture of what the tithe actually can be and should be for us. God wanted the very first of what they increased. After that, he didn't ask for everything. But that first time, he wanted them to bring everything that they got from Jericho. And one man kept some of it. Caused real trouble. So they dealt with that. Here's what I want you to see happened at that point. Joshua did inquire. It was late, but better late than never. Sometimes we don't really ask God about things diligently listening until we're in real trouble, until things have gone real wrong. 
Again, God doesn't slam us for, for that. He's ready to lift us and encourage us and guide us. But oh, if we could just develop the habit of paying attention ahead of time. <laughs> you don't have to be excited about that. You know it's true. When Joshua inquired of the Lord, he found out exactly what was going on. He remedied that situation. But then something had to happen. There had to be a new kind of courage rise up inside of Joshua and all of Israel to go out against Ai again. To go stand up and go towards that place that had beat them already. There are things in people's lives that have beat them over and over and over again. What I do call strongholds. A stronghold in a person's life. The place they always end up defaulting back to. Maybe it's their own anger or their own way of manipulating a situation or just bailing out of something or running for the hills when the pressure gets too tough. Whatever it is. People default back to something. And it takes a great deal of courage. We define courage. I defined it for you last night. Part of being courageous was to be buoyant in spirit. You remember that? That when we're pulled under in a situation, courage floats right back up to the top. We're not staying under. We're remaining on top. Courageous took a new kind of courage for Joshua and Israel to go out against Ai again. But they got that courage. Why? Because they knew they had dealt with what had brought their defeat. It wasn't Ai that defeated them. It was an internal problem that defeated them. Gosh, is that not a picture for us? It's really not the devil that defeats us typically. Yeah, he adds to the problems and he creates attacks and issues. But what really defeats us is internal. And it was an internal issue within Israel that defeated them. And I would venture to say that right now, it wouldn't take 30 seconds for you to zero in for yourself as to what the internal issue is for you. Maybe there's more than one. You could have... A whole family of problems and issues. Things that you default back to. Here's the thing in God. When we recognize those things, it takes courage, but it also takes knowing that God on the inside of you is more than enough to deal with those compromises that have remained. Oh, this isn't as an ex exciting as shouting down the walls of Jericho. I realize that. But you see, I, I told you there were three components to the book of Joshua. There was the crossing of the Jordan. There was the second one, which was the bringing down of the walls of Jericho. And then there's the third one, what we're in right now. And that is the rest of the book of Joshua was about continuing to possess that land. Continuing to move forward. Continuing the transition <laughs> so that they got into every inch of the land. God had told them from the beginning, just like God has told us. He told them the borders of their territory. He said, this land that I've given you goes from this river to those mountains to that sea. All of this is your territory. That is the land of blessing. That is the place of God's grace. That is where we tap into the greatest things God has for us. He has given us his word. The Bible gives us what our land looks like. That it is a place of grace, the place of peace. It is the place of joy. It's the place of shalom where nothing's missing and nothing's broken. It's the place of God's abundance. It's the place where the love of God rules and reigns and where in Christ we also rule and reign 
That's the place. That's what grace has provided. The place of, our, of grace from God. But watch this. From uh, Let's read something from the Bible before church is over. I would feel remiss on this service if I messed up and didn't at least read something. Let's read from the book of Romans, though. Even though we're in Joshua, let's, let's read something from the book of Romans, the fifth chapter. While you're finding that, let me, let me interject a, uh, a statement from really one of, the, one of the truly great thinkers of modern history, and that is Winston Churchill, who said success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's courage to continue that counts. Ooh, that's strong. That's really what Joshua's experience really does depict. Their success in Jericho was not final. There was going to be other places. But their failure in Ai, it was not fatal. Our failures are not fatal. This is such good news. You should look happier about this at this moment because that is extremely good news. That might be the best thing you've heard me say all morning. Our failures are not fatal. But it is the courage to continue that counts. It's the courage to press in and press on. It's the courage to not let the wind that blows against you determine the direction that you take. It's courage to set the course and then stay the course. That's what counts. And that's what Israel would demonstrate and Joshua's leadership would bring them into. That their success, they couldn't just sit back on the fact that they had received God's help and blessing. They had to continue to listen and follow, receive. And that's what we have to do. You may have had some successes. I have. I've had some great successes in God. I've seen God do remarkable things in my own life, in other people's lives, as a result of prayer and miracles that have happened throughout all of these years, man, you see it. But that's really not enough. It's success, that's success, and that's a, a type of success. That kind of success is not final. In that that doesn't guarantee every other success coming. We still have to continue in the things that brought us into the blessing of God. We have to stick with it. We can't let the distractions of the age, the distractions of life, the distractions in our own head, we can't let the distractions move us off of the path that God has us on. Oh, there are distractions. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to shift into that. Have you found Romans yet? I've started four messages here. And I think I need to complete at least one of them. In Romans chapter 5, look at this. He said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say it out loud. I've been justified. You know what that means. You've been made right in God's sight. That's what he's talking about, being justified. You've been made righteous. There's an amazing word. You've been made righteous. Seem like that should only belong to God. That's how a lot of people see it. God's the only one that's righteous. Well, that was true prior to Jesus coming. Prior to Jesus coming, there was none that were righteous. Not even one. That's what the Bible tells us. But not after Jesus came. He took on our unrighteousness at the cross. So that we would be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Ooh, that's good. You should look happy about that. Let me ask some of you to just look happy about anything. Just make something up. Think about ice cream, anything. It'll just help me forever. I... 
No, I'm a secure guy. I don't really care what you look like. <laughs> Does that feel any better? Which way was the way to go there? <laughs> verse 2, this is why we went to Romans. Watch verse 2. He said, through whom, speaking of Christ, through whom, watch this, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What a statement. The place of grace, that's where we stand. That's the land that we've been brought into. We've crossed the river, so to speak, just to use these pictures from Joshua. We've crossed the river into this land of promise. That is our place of grace. That's where it is all provided. That's the land of milk and honey, all these different things we could, we could attach to it. That's how God describes it. But notice what has to happen when we're in that place. We access the benefits of that place by faith. By faith. And this is what they had to continue to do. They had to continue to live and listen to the voice of the Lord and live in the faith to follow what he has said to deal with every one of those cities. 31 kings and 31 kingdoms would ultimately fall to Joshua's leadership in Israel's faith. That's powerful. And they had to continue on, city after city, issue after issue, threat after threat, the life of the believer whether we like to really think of it this way or not, it is a life of conflict. It is a life of battles. Now, that sounds so negative, and it really doesn't have to because I read Joshua, and it doesn't seem like a negative book to me. It seems like a real positive one because they won every time except that one little hiccup, but they even came back and won that one. But it is a book of conflict. You read the book of Acts, it's full of conflict. You read through what God would say through the Apostle Paul or Peter or James and those who wrote the New Testament, and there are plenty of conflicts going on, things that have to be dealt with, conquered. But there's a great deal of revelation in it also as to the position of power that we have that gives us the edge. So none of this conflict has to be a threat. We don't have to feel threatened by the conflict. We just understand that we have to beat it down with the word. Faith gives access into this grace. It accesses what's in this land. And the result is that we are able to rejoice in the expectation of the manifestations of the presence of God. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Does that make sense to you? I think one of the things, and I brought it up already, one of the things, and there's, there's more than one, one of the things, however, that becomes one of the big issues is distractions in the midst of conflicts. You know, there's all kinds of things that can distract us. Jesus talked about distraction. Actually, we were discussing just before the service a parable that Jesus gave, Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus talked about four different kinds of soil and seed being sown, some on hard ground, some on shallow soil, some on ground that ended up having thorns grow in it and than some good ground. And there's a couple of ways to understand these things that God gives us. I think it's interesting to explore as much as possible. I've always dealt with it and typically always heard it dealt with. There's four different kinds of people, four different kinds of people. Some, they're hard. The seed comes, is scattered, and, and uh, it doesn't penetrate. It doesn't go in. Birds come and eat it and take it and And it never bears any fruit at all, never grows at all. The second soil was shallow. 
The seed went into this shallow ground and it, it did grow, but it didn't last. The pressure came, the heat came, no roots, and it died. Now, we've seen people that didn't receive the word. They didn't receive anything when it was ministered, so that makes sense. That's a person. We've seen people that they lasted just a short time, and uh, things got hot, something happened they didn't like or they didn't understand, and they just bailed out and said, well, this isn't for me. It's for somebody else. Or that third kind of person you look at, they received the seed, the seed went in the ground, it grew, it bore fruit, but then other things came in. Distractions of the age is what the Amplified Bible says really at that particular point and began to choke that word out and what was fruitful became unfruitful. Well, we've seen people like that. Maybe you've been one of those. No show of hands, we don't need that. And then that fourth kind of person the one that the seed goes in, it's the good ground. Don't you really want to see yourself as the good ground? Yeah, I, I want to see myself as the good ground. So out of these four, it's easy for me to identify myself. The problem is, I seem to also be able to identify with the other three. Because I think there's another application or a way of really catching some benefit from this parable, and that is that it's not only describing different people, it is also describing different ways that we all deal with the seed sown in our life. Every one of us have every one of these different ways of dealing with things that God says and gives to us. Some things we really don't pay attention to. It doesn't penetrate really at all. Then other times we... We hear it, we like it, but we don't really stick with it. Other times we have things that God says and gives and brings real help and breakthrough over, but we allow things to come back, fears to return, attitudes to be resurrected that should have stayed dead. So I think there's times where all four of these ways, and then, of course, the fourth one where we really did take it and we really ran with it, and it really is bearing fruit in our life. I think, I think these can also really be different ways we handle what we receive. To have courage to continue means that we are going to face the distractions, and we're not going to let those distractions pull us off and, re, and, and change our focus. Because that's really what distraction does, isn't it? It changes focus. It dilutes our power. It, it really weakens our resolve. But when we stay focused is where there's real power. Does that make sense to you? I learned the power of focus, and I'm going to come in for a landing here on this maybe. At least I'm on final. But I learned the power of focus really as a young guy. I grew up in Southern California. I know from time, I, I, I apparently sound, I don't sound like I'm from Southern California. How many of you would have guessed I was from Southern California? Yeah, not one. But uh, how many of you wouldn't have guessed at all? Of course, because Pastor Jonathan announced where I'm from now, and that's Texas. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I grew up in Southern California. And uh, as a young guy, we lived in a... In a you know, suburb, a neighborhood. We had a nice backyard. You know, it was a nice place. My dad, family, we had a nice little family uh, with all kinds of problems. But, um, but I just so enjoyed, on the right days, getting out in the backyard with a magnifying glass. It was a, one of my favorite things to do for a period of time. I'd get my magnifying glass and I would look for, I would look for bugs. And it really wasn't at all so that I could look at them up close. And that's one of the purposes, of course, of the magnifying glass. What does it do? It, it magnifies. I know, you know, I just want to make sure you're still here. But, uh, but there's, you know there's something else. You know where I'm going. There's something else you can do with a magnifying glass that is so much more interesting when you are 
six or seven or eight years old especially because I'd find bugs, sometimes big ones, sometimes a line of ants. That took a little more skill. Because on a sunny day, you know what you can do? You can get that magnifying glass. You can get it right at the right angle and at the right distance. And you can get all of those warm, fuzzy rays of sunshine. And you can, you can pinpoint those through that magnifying glass so you can light nearly anything on fire. And I mean nearly anything because I lit all kinds of things on fire. Some of it was almost crisis when, when it happened. But when I'd find the bugs, and a big one was best, really. It was better than the little ones. The little ones, you'd just fry them right to the sidewalk, and they, did, they were there until you had to sweep them off. But the bigger ones, it was more interesting, it seemed. They would smoke better. They would smoke, and some of them, you could kind of, they'd kind of boop up into a flame for a moment there. It was... Come on, you guys are looking down on me, but how many of you have done what I'm talking about yourself? Come on, come on. Even the girls, it ain't just a guy thing. No, we're all twisted. We all have that twisted side. I think it's part of the dominion that God placed in us. At least that's, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Uh, but the, you just burn something, you know. Well, what I had discovered, and I went a long way to come to this point. What I had discovered is the power of focus. Remember, that's what I was talking about, the power of focus. Because you can take those rays of sunlight that just warm a person up, man. It's just comfortable and nice. But you can get those focus down to that little pinpoint, and you can burn things up. And that was so cool. Because I couldn't play with matches. That was, that was a no-no. Don't play with matches. They wouldn't allow me to take the matches that were all over the house, by the way. But I could still light a fire. <laughs> Power of focus. This is true with our words. This is true with our, our mind. This is true with spiritual things. There is a power that amplifies. Just like laser is amplified light but can cut through cold steel. The focus of your soul onto the things of God, onto the Word, actually amplifies His power in your life. Distractions come to dilute that. And there's so many different kinds of things that can distract. They're not all bad things. Good things can distract us. For years, I've called the telephone the great distractor because it takes priority over anybody or anything else. You can be in the... The most serious of conversations, something that is important. And the phone rings, excuse me, just a moment. Yes. Wait a minute. I was here first. Have you ever been in line and waited to come to the counter to get some help from somebody at the counter? And just as you get there, their phone rings, and they are three to five minutes dealing with the person on the phone who did not wait for a moment to be helped, like I did. Something's very wrong about this, and I've let it be known from time to time. The great distractor. But now we have so many more even than just the phone. Social media, which is so antisocial. It's amazing, but social media has become the great distractor. For so many. But it can be a variety of other things. The distractions of the age is how Jesus really said it, using the Amplified Bible. The cares of this world come in and choke the word. That's what begins to happen. One of the reasons Christians remain weak is because, or become weak, though they may have been strong, is they've allowed the distractions of one type or another to dilute their life. And so my message for you today and really through this weekend is this. This is our time of transition, moving from where we've been into places that God designed the grace for us to live in blessing and goodness and really conquer the things that have been controlling us or undermining our success in one way or another.
This is our time for restoration. And this is our time to continue. Not to pull back, but to press in. Not to slow down, but to speed it up. Not to let opinions discourage us or distractions delude us, but to have the courage to continue. Takes courage to move forward from where you are right now. And that's really what I want to pray for you. I want to pray that this courage rise up inside of you. Courage to be the kind of believer, the kind of husband, the kind of wife, the kind of business leader, the kind of person that God designed for you to be. Courage to live in the blessing of God and expect the hand of God to move. Courage to embrace the miracle power of God and believe that that miracle power will work in your own body and in your life. It takes courage to be a believer. Life of faith isn't a crutch. It's courageous. And that's what I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that this courage rise up in you so that maybe if you've been pulled under, just like something buoyant pulled under water, today we just kick it loose. And that anointing within brings us right back up to the top. Some people, you're just going to... You're just going to come right back up to the top right now. Will you stand with me and let's lay hold on this in Jesus' name.